Hello, Common Ground, as well as anyone else joining us from wherever you're tuning in. My name is Luke, and I'm thrilled. Really, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm excited today to be sharing with you the final message in our mini-series entitled Better Together. And if I'm honest with you on the front end, um, which I should be as a preacher for sure, um, uh, I'm going to be wearing two hats today. I'm going to be wearing my hat as a preacher, which I love to wear, but I'm also going to be putting on my hat as a leader today, as I want to call us to some things that are vitally important to us as a church. More than anything today, I want to remind us of who we are. Remind us of who we are as a church, as the church, if you will. And also remind us as who we are as Common Ground Church. And so today we're going to look back to the birth of the first church. It's going to be thrilling as we look at uh, what happened and what God did there. And then we're going to look a little bit at our birth as Common Ground Church and how we got our name. And really, for lack of a better word, I want to speak to today our secret source as Common Ground. And so uh, much to be excited about. Before we do, though, I'd love just to speak to us um, for a second about something very important. You know, today we're speaking about gathering together, whether in venues or in homes or even in watch parties online and how important it is. But there are still many of us, many of us even watching now for whom this is simply not wise. Whilst, yes, in our venues, those who are able to meet, we have done everything we can to minimize the risk of the spread of COVID. There are some who are particularly vulnerable and for whom at this time it's not wise to meet. And some actually for logistical reasons, like our congregation, unable to meet in a school, not because of any bad reasons or anything other than the government wanting to protect kids. We get it. But there are some for whom meeting right now is just not possible or advisable. And I am so aware that the way in which I'm speaking today and what we're looking about is going to be highlighting this practice that you so long for in your heart. Man, let me just start by saying I'm so sorry. But let today serve as a reminder of what it is that we hope in, how we long to be together. And soon enough, this too will pass. And this, what we're speaking of today, is what it is you've got to look forward to soon enough. Right. I want to talk today, as let's start by looking at where we got our name as a church. We have got a special name as Common Ground Church. I hope you know that. It's a name that excites me. It's a name that God gave us. He gave it to us intentionally. He gave it to us prophetically. He gave it to us even definingly as a church. We're Common Ground. Initially, we were friends first. God gave us that name in order to establish a value that we are, we are friends before function, family before function function. Relationships matter in the body of Christ. And then uh, upon taking possession of the Rondebosch campus that I'm standing in right now as I share this message, um, God intervened and He spoke to us of who He wants us to be in the city of Cape Town. I wasn't around then, but I heard the story. I remember hearing of how the, there was a young crew of elders that were built around uh, Rigby, who's the kind of uh, very respectfully the old bull in that crew of younger elders. Um, and, uh, and this young crew of elders believed God was calling us to change our name. God had spoken to them. We must change from friends first to common ground. But they were nervous because Rigby was the founding, founding leader, the founding father, the bull who led that team strong and still does in a great way. And so how do you bring that up to him? 
Well, Rigby went away to Australia on a trip, and while he was there, Tom Tapping said to him, Rig, you need to change your church's name to Common Ground. And Rig replied, he said, no, no, we already have a name. We already have an identity. And then he had this devotional time with God, and he read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I want to read this with us together. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, Paul writing to a church just like ours. This is what he said. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And then he says this, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. And then read it in the New Living Translation where it says this, When I am with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, he says, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything that I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. And God spoke to Rig. You are common ground. That's who you are. And God prophetically, intentionally, definingly interrupted our church's story. And he inserted a new name to say, we are common ground. We are those in our city who do everything we can to build common ground with those who are far from Christ in order to save and to reach it was the choreography of God that led Rigby to this and upon which he returned to his young team of elders and said, guys, I believe God's spoken to me. He's given us a new name. We must be common ground to which they replied, finally, you've got it, right? God has choreographed the naming of our church forever encapsulating, encapturing the heartbeat of our church. Boof, 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 boof. We, we, our church beats to reach those who are far from Christ. That's who we are. It's what we love to do. It's why we love our name. Now, I don't know about you, but I have got many friends and, and family members in other cities. And I pray for them and I long for them to come to Christ. And I am hoping that there is a people, that there is a church who is doing everything that they can to build common ground in order to reach them. Well, for them, we are those in this city who are doing all that we can to reach those for Christ, welcoming and reaching and sharing with them who Jesus is. It's our mission, it's our value, it's in our genes. It colors everything we do. It even colors our gathering. And today we're looking at how our gathering, in fact, informs this mission we're on as common grounders. Yes, it's true, the church is so much more than a gathering. But it's also true, in fact, that the church is never less than a gathering. In fact, if you read your Bibles, the Greek word that we see translated as church is the Greek word ekklesia, which simply means gathering or assembly. It's strategically the same word that Jesus uses when he says to Peter, I will build my church. And so in other words, the church, the church for church meeting is not just something we do. It's a defining part of what the church is. For Christ followers, not meeting is... It's not a convenient way of being more flexible with our Sundays, doing kind of catch-up church. 
It's not a great way even to save money on our church budget during a tough financial time in our city. No, rather for us not meeting is a temporary yet incredibly costly concession that we've made for the good of our city. But we long for the reunification of our family. We long at how much we've missed the presence of God in the midst of our gatherings. We've missed the, we've missed the formational power of God in our community together with brothers and sisters. And so today, let's look, uh, we've looked as Ryan's spoken of the presence of God uh, and how that's so fundamental to why we gather. Roger looked at the power of formation and how our gatherings form us as Christ followers. The things that God does in our togetherness in our lives that he does not do while we're apart. And today we look at how our mission informs, uh, how our gathering informs our mission. And so let's start off by picking up where Rog left off. Acts chapter 2, and let's look at the birth of the first church, the prototype church. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Do you see it? It's a gathering of Christians. Not, not just, oh, it's, a, it's a gathering of Christians. Oh, we do that every, you know, we do that all the time. I know not after COVID, but it's very familiar to us. It's not just a gathering of Christians. No, no, it's a gathering of Christians. These are spirit-filled men and women, brothers and sisters, gathering together in one place, like the concentration of the people of God in one place, in the midst of the presence of God, God himself promising to be with him. It's a gathering of Christians in one place. And the Holy Spirit, as they gather, is poured out on their lives. The the Old Testament promise is fulfilled and God moves in their lives powerfully. They encounter Him and there's a bit of a commotion and a lot of people who are outsiders come in to see what what all this excitement is about. Verse 40, we pick up and, and Peter continued preaching for a long time. Did you see that? There is a biblical case for longer sermons, right? Uh, Don't worry, we're not gonna take that one literally today. But Peter continued preaching for a long time, urging all the listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And what happened as they gathered, as the Spirit is poured out, as Peter preaches, anointed by the Holy Spirit, verse 41, here's the result. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. It's exactly what Ryan was preaching about. It's the gathering, the togetherness of believers, the presence of God in the midst of it. And what happens is many come to faith as people encounter God in togetherness. So this radiates outwards into the city in mission. And this continues through chapter three. Let's flip over the page to Acts chapter four and see how this relationship between the gathering and mission continues. Fast forward, Acts chapter four. Momentum is building, but along with momentum, so too is persecution and opposition. Peter and John have just been thrown in jail. They've been given a gagging order, told literally to stop preaching the name of Jesus threatened with consequences if they disobey. Now we pick up the story, Acts chapter four and verse 23. Let's read together. And as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, again, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. 
here we see a gathering, but this gathering is centered around prayer. It's a corporate prayer meeting. And what we read here is all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. I love this. I think this is a key phrase for us. They prayed noisy prayers. They lifted up their voices. They prayed desperate, needy prayers. And as I read this phrase, I felt something in my heart spark. As if God said there's something for us as common grounders in this. That something of the ground we're going to take, something of the, uh, the forward momentum of the gospel through our community, something of overcoming the challenges that we will face in the future will come as all of us believers gather together and lift our voices to God in prayer. That I believe God would say to us today, we need to recover a hunger for prayer, a hunger for the presence of God and our dependence on Him. And as we do so, we will see the missional effectiveness of our church explode into our community. It's this prototype church we read of in the book of Acts that is given to God, a hunger for God, a hunger for being together and a hunger for going in mission. Now, as they pray, what happens? Let's look at verse 31 together. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Now the meeting place shook. What did that mean? I, I initially I thought maybe it's an earthquake, but no, you would have said it was an earthquake. I don't think that's what happened. The Greek word here means to shake or to agitate as wind or waves do. I think the best way to understand this is, you know, when you're driving your car and you come around a corner or you get onto a bridge and suddenly the wind shakes the car or maybe a truck goes past you and the car kind of wobbles. This is what happened to the place that the believers were gathering in as they met hungry to encounter God, hungry to be together in his presence. God moved powerfully and what happened? They preached the word with boldness. Mission radiated out. You see, it's in their togetherness that God moves and mission is radiated outwards. How are you doing there? I mean, let's just stop for a second. How are you doing in terms of your hunger for God? Your hunger to be together and together and your hunger for going. How are you doing post-COVID? How are you doing pre-COVID even? We want to be a people who are hungry for God, hungry to encounter Him, hungry to be together in His presence and hungry to go. Shame, imagine the poor guy who missed that prayer meeting for a lion or a bike ride that day. I bet he kicked himself, probably for the rest of his life, for missing out on this one. One more. Can we look at one more together? Let's go. Acts chapter 5, one chapter over. We're looking at the gathering of God and how it fuels mission of God's people. And what we're going to see is one of the strangest miracles in the Bible. It's an opposite miracle. Instead of raising people to life and healing, we see Ananias and Sapphira are struck down dead. They're lying to God and they're lying to the church about money and God intervenes and they are, they're, they're taken out, struck down and carried out of the meeting. Let's see what happens. Acts chapter 5 and verse 11. As you'd expect, great fear gripped the entire church. I mean, that makes sense, right? And everyone else who heard what happened. So the church WhatsApp groups went crazy. The local newspaper came to find out what was going on in this gathering, right? And verse 12, we pick up, and the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly in the temple known uh, as Solomon's Colonnade. 
but no one else dared join them. I mean, you think it's tough inviting people to church post-COVID, right? Uh, imagine inviting, trying to invite people to church post-Ananias and Sapphira, right? This was tough, even although all the people had a high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women coming to faith. Now, thankfully, this is a one-off miracle, right? And probably we need some explanation. I don't know about you, but when I find something in the Bible that needs explaining, I go, uh, first of all, to Michael Eaton. And this is what Michael Eaton says of this verse. He says, why did God judge Ananias and Sapphira so severely? There have been many people in the church who have sinned in the same way and God has not judged them so severely. The answer is, these were the early days of the church and God was giving a display of how much he hates hypocrisy and how severely he intends to deal with it. It's a vivid lesson at the formation of the church of God's heart for the integrity and the purity that he wants for his church. You see, nothing must get in the way of the mission of the church, not even the church's hypocrisy. What I want us today to see from a missional perspective is when the church gathered, they gathered hungry for God, they gathered hungry for togetherness, uh, God moves and, and there's a reverence to their gathering. There's a reverence, a sacredness to, to, to the understanding of both the city and of the church of what happens when the believers come together. This series, let me just be absolutely clear, this series is not about trying to get people and get all of us attending church again. This series is about reminding us of who we are and about what happens when we understand who we are and when we live in this way. We're living in an age where the, the gathering of believers is not revered in our city anymore and increasingly not even in the church. And I'm making a case for us as common grounders, regaining a sense of the sacredness of the gathering, of the power and the potential of what happens when we come together in the presence of God, hungry to be together, hungry to be with God. For us as leaders and members alike, anticipating, encountering God in the midst of our togetherness. It's this relationship between the gathering of the believers, full of faith and hungry for God to move, and the going of of the church in mission that transformed the world and turned it upside down. So let's stop for a second. And I want to ask this question. What is it that happens when our church gathers consistently that is so powerful for our mission? And I want to share with you really some practical things that I've reflected on from my own life that's so important between the, the power of gathering consistently and mission and how these two things are tied to one another. In fact, that the, the as with the early church, the missional effectiveness of the church rose with the tide of the strength of their gatherings. This is true for us as well. What happens? Well, number one, when we're together consistently, we're realigned to the true mission of Christ. When we're together consistently, we're realigned to the true mission of Christ. Through singing worship, through prayer, through communion, through the preached word, we are realigned to God and to his purposes. Um, as I sing in worship, my heart is reorientated to the great story of God in the history of the universe. And, and my eyes come off of my little eye story. And, and I'm swept up into the great and grand narrative of God and what he's doing in our world. Really, I'm relocated 
into God's story. If you've ever arrived at a shopping mall and you've seen that board that says, you are here, and then you can take your bearings and work out who you are and where you need to go. We are on a Sunday arriving in the singing of worship, the preached word, the prayer, and the communion. We are relocated out of our little stories into God's great story, just like a magnet. A magnet that gets dinged and bumped and dented loses its effectiveness and its strength. But all you do is you take that magnet and you simply stroke and rub another strong magnet along that magnet. I'm not a scientist, but I remember from high school, what happens is all those ions become realigned and the strength of that magnet is returned. It's the same with us as Christ followers. When we gather our passions, our thoughts, our, our, even our loves and desires are realigned. We're recalibrated according to the person of God and the mission of God in the world. Cape Town would seduce us to live for ourselves, to live for our leisure, to, to make the highest end of our lives or the chief end, the building of project self. But when I gather with God's people, I sing, I sit under the word, I pray and I have communion with God. My heart is centered on Jesus again. And therefore I become more effective on mission in our city as well. Number two, when we gather consistently, let me just stop. Why did I put that word consistently there? I know it feels like a little jab in there, but actually consistency is so important because when we dip in and out when we feel like it, when we do this haphazardly, we actually, we build the very opposite of the things I'm speaking about. Again, I'm centering my life around myself and my temporary kind of feelings where consistency says, I rise above my temporary situation and I become who I am. I ultimately want to be but because I center my life on what I truly value, even regardless of what's happening around me. And so consistency is a big word here. When we gather together consistently, we become more attractive billboards than when, uh, when we are scattered in our city. We're more attractive when we're scattered because of the valuing uh, of being together. For example, uh, and I speak for myself, I'm part of a life group here. Just by being part of a life group, that I meet with weekly, that I learn to, lo learn to love Jesus with, that I laugh with, that I, that I actually belong to, my levels of integrity are raised simply because I belong to other people. Let me explain. There's an automatic accountability that happens when you're part of a family that's bigger than yourself. Just by meeting weekly with these guys, by caring, by laughing together, by doing life with them, I begin to belong and they begin to become part of a kind of a community conscience that lives in me. It's no longer, uh, how does this decision affect me? It's how does this affect us? What would this do to all of these people whom I belong to? So when I am scattered and I face temptation in my office, temptation to cut some corners on tax to take a shady business deal, maybe to flirt and respond to the flirtation of another work colleague. Although my life group is not with me, I'm not just thinking, how does this affect me? I'm thinking, how does this affect us? And they're not like the accountability police saying, Luke, are you making good Christian decisions this week, checking in with me all the time? No, we just do life together. And simply by belonging, my conscience is broadened to think about others. And it's like the, the flaw of the lowest decisions, the worst decisions I could make in my life are, is, is raised just because other people are part of my thinking. 
And so I become a clearer, um, better witness to Jesus because I belong to other people and do life with them. The character of my witness and the quality of my life is improved as I represent him because I value the togetherness. Third one, when we gather together consistently, we're equipped and we're enthused to be better missionaries. Again, I look to my life group. The, tr- the truth is that, that mission leaks, right? Mission leaks. And as I gather with these guys, these men and women, uh, my, I am enthused and I am equipped for mission. I think now recently, of, uh, we in our life group, we read books together and uh, we read a few chapters in a week and then we discuss them. And uh, it was just a few weeks ago that Gina read a particular chapter. And this is what she, as she read the chapter, she said, You know, I just had a conversation this week with a friend of mine, a colleague who doesn't know Christ. And as I read this chapter, it answered exactly the question she had. And so I'm gonna share this chapter with her. And so as we gather for her, she's equipped to do mission better. But but here's, there's nine other people who watching this, hearing her say this. And suddenly some of us are thinking, wow, when last did I have a conversation with someone far from Christ? Others of us are thinking, I could share this with so-and-so as well. I mean, totally unscripted, totally off plan. We landed that night's life group by each of us naming and listing some people whom we love and care for dearly who don't know Christ, that we are praying for to see come come to faith. And we left there more enthused and even equipped for mission, totally unscripted, just because we were together. This is what happens in a way in which doesn't happen when I watch Netflix and uh, when I miss my, my mates in, in my life group as well. So simply by gathering together, I'm equipped and I'm enthused to be a better missionary. Number four, when we're together, our gathering becomes a signpost to the reality of the love and the person of Jesus. When we're together, we become visible to our world. Together, we're an embassy of heaven, an outpost of Christ here on earth. We become visible in our togetherness. We become audible in our togetherness, even touchable in the way in which, I mean, this is touchable in the way in which elbows in a socially distanced pew are no longer allowed to touch each other, but used to touch each other. We were even touchable that time ago and we will be again into the future, but it's in the gathering and the coming together that we become visible to our world. We're learning to, to, to care for one another. We're learning to, to follow our lives, uh, to, to orientate our lives in followership to the high King of heaven. We're grappling together with the challenges of our city. We're learning how to live in the ways and the wisdom of Jesus here on earth now. And all of which, the the doors are open for, for those who are outside to come in and to look and to taste and to see God's power in impacting people like you and me. Our gathering becomes a signpost to the person of Jesus. Together, we manifest the physical expression of the kingdom of God here in the midst of our communities. Lastly, and this is a big one, when we gather together consistently, our missional efforts are strengthened by our teammates in mission. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I love to fish, right? I love to fish. I can go off on my own and spend hours fishing. In fact, there was a time, I remember before I was married, I went fishing one day. I spent three nights and four days. I don't think I said a word for four days. I know, as a preacher, that's hard for you to believe. But, but there was a time where I would just go off into the beautiful bliss of solitude and not speak a single word for days while I was fishing. 
You see, when, when, when we see fishing, we think rod and reel. But that's not what the disciples thought. That's not what the disciples heard. Fishing in the Bible is nets, you see. And fishing with nets is a team sport, right? I come from South Penn where I see the trek netters go out all the time. That's the closest fishing I think we can understand to what they were doing then. When the trek netters go fishing, there's, there's a dude up on the mountain. He's got binoculars and polarized lenses. He's looking for the fish, speaking into a radio, telling the guy on the boat who's steering the rudder where they should go. Then there's four guys together rowing. There's 10 left on the beach who busy paying out line and another 10 who will pull in the other side of the net. Fishing is a team sport. It's true of mission in church as well. I mean, think about it. You've got a friend, maybe he doesn't really know God, right? Uh, and you've got a heart for him. So you pray and you're trusting God to reveal himself to him. And, and then you pluck up the courage and you let the cat out the bag. You're a Christian. And, and you do this because one day your mate says to you, hey, uh, this Sunday, why don't we go for a trail run together? There's this cool new run I want to do. And then you do it. You say, actually, I, I can't go on Sunday because I go to church. And, and there's a bit of a moment of awkwardness where he looks at you a bit like a unicorn or, uh, or something like that, you know? And, and then you quickly save the moment. And you say, but why don't we go on Thursday? We can run together. I'm keen to check it out, right? And, and so you run with him on Thursday. And while you're running, he says, you know, I, I get Jesus, but I don't really understand the Bible. At which point you reply, you won't believe it. This Sunday, we're looking at what the Bible says about Jesus. I mean, you know this because we're looking at Mark next week, Sunday, and we're going to be preaching uh, from the book of Mark about what the Bible literally says about Jesus, right? And so you invite him and shock horror, he comes right? Uh, just picture this. So far, so far, it's just been you, right? So far, it's your missional intent and your missional efforts. But he walks into the room and he's handed a cup of perfectly sanitized coffee that tastes really, really good, right? And, and he thinks to himself, wow, that's quite nice. And before you can say hello, Darren and Candace walk across the room. Now, Darren and Candace are the unicorns of the trail running world. And he thinks to himself, wow, I've seen those guys as they shunt past me up the mountain. I didn't know they go to this church. And before Darren and Candace can catch him, Jeremy, who's also a trail runner, he knows, who did his landscaping, is a guy that he knows and trusts, walks up to him, gives him the the safe elbow of greeting and says, how's it? I didn't know you came here. And he says, I, I don't, it's my first time. But so, suddenly all these others are brought into the game. And you know what? We're looking, it's just an ordinary Sunday in the book of Mark. And he thinks, I, th I think I like these people. I'll come back next week. And it's not long before God grabs a hold of his heart. We are strengthened by our missional teammates as we gather as simple as turning, a, turning down a run, uh, elevating the priority of a church and inviting a friend, God has taken this opportunity to get a hold of someone's life. You say, Luke, that's far-fetched. It doesn't really work like that in the world. I say to you, absolute nonsense. It happens like this every day. How many of you came to, friend, came to faith because a friend invited you and you looked at this group of people and you thought, I think I, quite, I, could, I could be a part of this. I could be a part of these people. It's, it's how it happened to me. I mean, I came to faith. I was a messed up, very angry, confused teenager. And I was sleeping over at a friend's house because... 
The honest truth is we were 14 years old and we were going out and we were getting wasted. I lived in a very small house and if I came home drunk to my parents' house, I would have gotten a lot of trouble. And he lived in an outside room and so we could sneak home in the state that we were in into his granny flat and get away with it. And his parents had a rule. They said, we do this as a family. The same way we brush our teeth, we go to church on a Sunday. And if you are here on a Sunday morning, you come to church with us. And so I went along. We were there that Sunday, but church was boring. And so we were bunking church. And down at the bottom of the church yard, an old lady who was a retired missionary named Marion caught us bunking. And she explained who Jesus was to me. She led me in a prayer of faith. And I came to faith that day. It was just a normal Sunday meeting. And here's the thing, there were no fireworks. It's not like Marion walked into the church and said, yay, we got another one. That's not how it went down, right? I don't even think the de Jong family, Francois and Linda, who brought me along to church that day, had a conversation with Marion and, 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 and learning what happened that day. But here I am, because a family said, we're going to church this day. Let's take this little 14-year-old misfit with us. And God got a hold of my life, because another lady didn't lie in. She came and she just welcomed me, and she explained to me who Jesus is. It's decades later. And God has still got me. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, there was a football movie. It was called Any Given Sunday. This is what it is to be part of the church. More than Sunday football. Any given Sunday. All, all, all that we do as believers is we, we, we occasionally invite. We arrive consistently and we warmly welcome. And any given Sunday Something powerful can happen. Uh, I mean, if I'm honest with you, I think this is something of the secret source of our church. Sorry, that got me a little bit emotional there. Just thinking of the ordinary power of God and what God did in my life. It's something of the secret source of our church, I think. When people, as they often do, ask Rigby, they say, Rigby, what's, what's the secret of common ground? I mean, I think it's something like 11 churches in 11 years. You guys are planted in the city of Cape Town. That's amazing. And Rigby's answer is always massively underwhelming to them. As he replies and he says simply, the secret is anointed plodding. Little by little, we take ground for God together. Our secret as common ground is not a bunch of amazing unicorns who do radical things. It's just people like you and me who occasionally invite, who regularly arrive, and who, who, who welcome people warmly. I think if we just understood the power of occasionally inviting, uh, consistently gathering, and warmly welcoming, this would radically change uh, our, effective, our missional effectiveness as a church. If we occasionally invited, consistently gathered, and warmly welcomed. If we just did that, you won't believe the way we'd see our influence go in our communities. Uh, we'd see congregations planted in areas we haven't even dreamt of, just simply occasionally inviting consistently gathering and warmly welcoming others. Decades from now, we'll look back and think, wow, could you, can you believe what God did through us as we just invited our mates, consistently gathered and warmly welcomed those who gather with us? 
This, I think, is the secret source of our church. It's all of us understanding that we are those who do everything we can to build common ground to those who are far from Christ in faith and in hope that God would move powerfully on mission through our togetherness. We are those who are hungry for God, hungry together, and hungry to go as we occasionally invite, consistently gather, and warmly welcome those who join us in all of our gatherings. I hope today we've lit a fresh fire in your heart for the power of the gathering to fuel our mission as we've been reminded of who we are as the church, but also who we are as common ground church, as God has given us a special call to do all that we can to build common ground to reach those who are far from Christ. Can I pray for us as we land? Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much. All those years ago, you interrupted the story to, to give us an identity that we would be a people deployed, a people who are living purposefully, intentionally towards those who are far from you, God. We pray that you would help us to recover something of a hunger for you and a hunger together and a hunger to encounter you as we meet together, Jesus. As we gather, as we, as we slowly start to work out what it looks like to do church on the other side of COVID, Jesus, we want to encounter you powerfully, God but not just for ourselves, God. As we're excited to gather, as we're excited to encounter you, God, send us out into the world. May we be those who do all that we can to live towards those who are far from you, those who occasionally invite, those who consistently are together, and those who warmly welcome. And Jesus, as we do so, would you bring many to faith? Hey, perhaps that's you right now as we're landing this meeting. Are you far from God? Is God calling you home today? I know a strange message, a message about mission, a message about gathering, and yet maybe God is drawing you home in that. I'd love to pray for you right now. Jesus, thank you that you call me home. Thank you that you call me into this family. Christ, will you forgive me from going walkabouts? And would you draw me in to this people as you make me more like you, that my life would be a life that is lived on mission for you, Jesus. Do what you need to do in me, God. Change my heart. I can't change who I am, but God, you can change me. Make me more like you and deploy me in this city to reach others as well, Jesus. Ask this in your name. God, I pray too for the missional effectiveness of our church. God, give us a heart, a hunger for you, a hunger for your presence, and a hunger to go out into the world and represent you, Jesus. In your name, amen.